Hey guys, everybody. Welcome to the KJ52 Podcast. Uh, first of all, thank you for joining me. Second of all, if you ever want to be a Patreon supporter, head over to patreon.com forward slash KJ52. Check out some of the awesome stuff that I have going on over there. And you can support this podcast or just the stuff I do, period. I wanted to talk to you guys about something that uh, I shared with my 5-2 Academy class a couple days ago. Um, 5-2 Academy is a Bible study that I do for creatives, artists, rappers, producers, singers, things of that nature. And I've actually been kind of walking them through the second chapter, cha- second chapter of Habakkuk, which I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. I don't know if it's Habakkuk, 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 either way, I've been walking them through this chapter verse by verse, and if you're not familiar with this, um, this actual chapter, it is from a, what is called the intertestamental prophets. And so these are a couple of the smaller books kind of at the tail end of the old Testament before you get into the new Testament. And a lot of times you can kind of, uh, I, I take it back. It's not intertestamental. It's, uh, considered to be the minor prophets. Where's the Bible college, man? Come on, Sorrentino, get your head in the game. Anyway, um, point is, is that this is, um, you know, a chapter or a couple chapters that you might miss over if you're not paying attention. And there's some nuggets in there. And so I've been kind of walking them through each verse. And the last verse I had done with them was uh, about timing, or I should say God's timing, or waiting on God's timing, so to speak. And if you know anything about the background of this, this minor prophet, is it has a pretty famous verse in there that says to take the vision and to write it down and to make it plain. That's in Habakkuk 2 2. Um, but if you back that verse up and go to verse 1, you will see that it's really about Habakkuk, the prophet, complaining to God about his situation. And he was known as a watchman. And he's kind of like sort of watching on some situations to happen. And the first verse is really just him, you know, laying out his problems to God. And the beauty of the second verse is that God gives him a vision to that complaint, which kind of shows me that I'm so glad that God hears our complaints, right? I mean, we can definitely be whiny people. <laughs> but the third verse is really what I wanted to, um, to hyper-focus in on. And the reason being is that I think we're always, if you think about it, always kind of in the process of waiting on something. Meaning, you might be single and you are waiting on that person that you feel like you're going to marry. Uh, you might be <clears throat> married and you are waiting on that particular job offer. Or you might be, you know, believing that God has something for you. And you are waiting for that to become a reality. Maybe that's a ministry thing. Maybe that's a a thing for your music, your art, whatever. Um, And so I just want to read this verse to you guys and kind of reiterate what I had shared with them. It says, uh, this is Habakkuk 2.3. It says, For the revelation waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. And, you know, even just within that verse, if you just broke down every line, there's a lot of truth in what that said. Um, The first line saying, for the revelation awaits an appointed time, which shows me that 
God, when he is <clears throat> revealing something to us about our lives or about our situations, it's almost like he sets a fixed time or date in the future. And then he starts a backwards clock, like almost like a countdown, except we just don't get to see when that countdown is. Um, I know for me, if I'm watching a countdown, there's two things I do. One, if it's really long countdown, I get bored and I get antsy. Uh, or two, if I see the countdown, I get super excited, right? As it gets close. I mean, how often do we see a, a countdown before anything? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and we all chant along, right? As we get close. I think the reality is God never gives us the countdown, right? Because it, if we knew the time, we would get hyper-focused in on that rather than dealing with it in a proper way. And I'll show you what I mean in just a second. But goes on to say, it speaks of the end, it will not prove false. I like that because it shows me that, you know, that's just an encouragement to me that, that what God has for me, it's not going to prove false. Like, you know, he's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's doing it with a purpose. He's doing it with an idea behind it. It's not by accident. Um, he didn't show me these things that he has for my life just to kind of, you know, to lie to me. God doesn't work like that. I like how it says, though it linger, wait for it. Uh, and I'm sorry, my silly sense of humor keeps thinking of the Cranberry song. I'm such a fool for you. You got me wrapped around your finger. Ah, do you have to let it linger? Do you have to? Do you have to let it linger? It's <laughs> uh, the way my brain works. I always have a song or a movie or TV show reference for anything in my life. <laughs> Apologize for my horrid singing. Uh, but it does say, though it lingers, wait for it. And... <clears throat> You know, when you're dealing with something that's lingering, you know, that's one of the hardest things to do because you're sitting there waiting for that thing to happen. You know, in a lot of ways, um, you know, God revealing something or bringing something into our lives, it's like watching a balloon that is at the that is essentially on the ceiling. I don't know if you've ever done this. I can remember being in like a church service or like us somewhere and there was a balloon that was on the ceiling. And in my distractive nature, I just kept sitting there looking at the balloon and taking my eyes off of it, right? And the, the, the hilarity of the balloon was that it was slowly running out of air, right? And at one point, it just essentially fell, not didn't fall, but it just deflated enough that it was literally just like hanging over the pastor. And he started to get distracted by it. Then the church was getting distracted by this balloon. And I just remember at one moment, you know, it was like the elephant in the room, so to speak. And I think I just, I remember him just kind of going over to it and just making a joke out of it and just popping it on the spot. And everybody just kind of went, ah! But, you know, waiting for God to make that thing happen is like waiting on that balloon. It's like a slow, steady decrease, you know what I mean? And if you just sit there and focus on it, you'd get distracted you miss the point of why you're there. But I do like it says, though it lingers, wait for it. And the verse ends by saying, it will certainly come and it will not delay. Meaning what God has for you, it will come. It comes at his appointed time and he's not going to delay it. Even though our concept feels like, our concept of time or our impatience makes it feel like, 
you know, we're being delayed, right? And so I kind of just want to share one last thing with you about my life as it pertains to when I was waiting on my music to become the fullness of the reality of what I wanted. Uh, right around 97, 98, uh, I was an inner city youth pastor, you know, had about <clears throat> 100, 150 project kids that I was busting in from the multiple projects. Um, I was a newly, I was going to be a newlywed. I was getting, I was going to get married in 98. And, uh, I had also shifted my position from, I was doing what was called ministry coordinator. So essentially I was doing everything at the church, uh, kids ministry, youth ministry, adult ministry, youth ministry, you name it. And when my new pastor came in, you know, he said, look, I want you just to focus on youth ministry. So I had spent the year of 97 to 98 just focusing on the youth group. And like anything, the more effort you put into something, the more it grows, usually. And our youth group had grown to over 100 kids um, of housing project kids. And, you know, to be honest with you, you know, doing youth ministry in inner city situations where these kids are from opposing projects, um, you know, there were times where fights broke out. There were times where... Uh, you know, we had to call the police. There were times where, you know, sometimes, some nights I just was like, dude, I just got to get through the night without an incident happening. Like that was how I judged whether or not the night went good. But there was also beautiful moments where kids' lives were reached and hearts were touched. And, you know, I got to connect with kids that had nobody connecting with them. And so I'm saying all this with the idea that my last year, that I was doing just that youth ministry, you know, the youth ministry finally got to a place where I was really happy with it. Like, uh, we didn't have these incidents happening anymore. I had started a, a small group Bible study. I had taken my kids to what was called fine arts. And, you know, we were just hitting a really nice rhythm. And at the time, all I could think about was the music. You know what I mean? Like, I was just restless. And I couldn't really understand why. You know, all I could think about was like, man, I just want to do this music full time. I just want to go hit the road. You know, it's not like you just wake up one day and be like, well, I think I'll be a full time rapper tomorrow. Like you could wake up one day and be like, I think I'm going to go be a pastor or I'm going to do this. And you could go off to Bible college and there's steps that you could do, you know, to make that a reality. Whereas like, especially in 97, 98, you know, it was looking grim. But I had started working on my first record solo and the sweet couple from the church had given me money to work on it. And so it was becoming a reality. And I had taken that album and I had sent it off to get, you know, to get to get a record deal, essentially. I sent off demos of it. And lo and behold, uh, you know, Todd from uh, Goatee Records reached out. And I, and I did. I got my first record deal. So this was around, I think I signed my deal in 99. And so this was like the culmination of a calling. It was the culmination of a dream. Um, you know, the impossible had become possible. And the reason why I'm saying about timing is because something happened next that I didn't realize was God's perfect timing at the time. What am I talking about? So I get my record deal. I moved to Nashville with my wife. When I say move, I just lived in a hotel for like a month almost. And that first album was called 7th Avenue. And, you know, got done with it. Uh, up there for about a month. 
you know, this, it's weird even to say this, but this was a time in the music industry where they would set release dates, and usually those release dates were like four to six months ahead. Like, you'd finish your album, you'd have to wait around for another four to six months before the record would drop, because, you know, it was the day and age of, like, pre-promotion and setup and first week sales and all this stuff, and you had to get in what was called the sales cycle, so you weren't competing with other releases, and you had the album going to stores, and this is... You know, certainly before streaming was a thing, and it was certainly before downloads was really a thing. So if I get done with my album, I leave Nashville, I got to go back to Florida, right? And I don't have an album in stores. No one knows who I am, really. I mean, not on a national level, at least. So I'm like, I can't just sit around and hope that things take off. I'm going to have to get a job. You know, I'm going to have to go out and get a job because I got to bide my time until this, you know, can possibly even become a reality. And I'm looking at about four months before my record even comes out. So it was supposed to come out in April. So I was thinking, like, what job can I get? I quit the church. I'm like, what job can I get that's kind of like flexible? I find out about this thing called, uh, uh, it's called SRBI. And it was basically they do phone surveys. So I go in there, I apply, I get the job, and I'm doing phone surveys at nighttime, like somewhere between four to eight or nine, right? Sometimes as late as ten, sometimes as early as three. And really all you're doing is you're just you're just sitting behind a phone, it's cold calling people, you're hoping to get people on the phone, and you're hoping that they will fill out a survey online or fill out a survey on the phone. And, you know, my communication skills were good enough that I was actually getting pretty good at it. And, but it was just so redundant. You know, I'd be sitting in there like doodling or writing raps or something like that at the same time. Sorry, boss. But it really wasn't enough money. So I had to go and get a job in the morning. And I went back to my old job, which was at the flower shop, and I was delivering flowers during the daytime. So the first time in my life I'd ever had to work two jobs, right? So I'm working the two jobs, you know, deliver flowers during the day, go and do phone surveys at nighttime, and I'm just like hating life in a lot of ways because I am that close, you know what I mean? I am that close to my dream. But I might as well be a thousand miles away, and I'm thinking in my head, like, did I make a mistake? Should I have just stayed at the church? You know, what is the point of going through all this effort and time to just literally sit here and do these mundane, menial jobs? Well, truth is, between those two jobs, it really wasn't cutting it for me financially. And then I find out about, because <clears throat> it was, it, by this time it's 2000, and um, <laughs> the, funny of this whole, the funny thing about this whole thing is my record did come out in April, and nothing really happened. It wasn't like this huge influx of shows, it wasn't like I had this massive, you know, trajectory into the sky... Like, nothing really changed, except that I had an album in, you know, some Christian bookstores. So now I'm really like, what's up, God? You know, I got to make more money. So it's 2000, and I see this ad to become a, uh, a census worker for the Census Bureau. And essentially the job is going around to little areas in your town, knocking on doors, and asking them questions about the U.S. Census with the idea that, you know... You're trying to see how many people are in the household, what they do, blah, blah, blah. 
I'm sitting here in my Census Bureau training class, right? And they're going around the room and everybody kind of has to introduce, introduce themselves and say their name, whatever. By the time it gets to me, almost to me, this lady who's sitting three seats ahead of me, and I'll never forget this, she kind of turns around and glances over and looks and sees me, and I'll never forget, she says out loud, she goes, do you know who that is? And she turns around and points at me. She goes, that guy's famous. <laughs> I just wanted to die right then and there, right? I just wanted to hide in my seat. I'm like, yeah, lady, I'm so famous. I'm here working the exact same job as you are with no shows happening. And I go and I do the Census Bureau job, right? And, you know, I'm knocking on doors. It's hot outside because it's like May, June in Florida. Um, you know, and, and, you know, certain areas of where I lived was, you know, we had illegal, you know, immigrants there. So you got to like try to get them to share information with you when they really don't want to because they think you might deport them. So I'm like, no, I'm not here. I'm not here to deport you, you know. Why am I telling this really long story? Because at the time, those three jobs, I couldn't stand, right? But right after that, right around June, I finally hit the road full time. And that's a whole other story for another, you know, what that meant full time is a whole other story. But the point is those three jobs eventually ended, right? And I hit the road and the rest is history. I'll never forget looking back on those three jobs, maybe I feel like 10, 12 years later. And at the time, because I could not see into the future, I didn't realize those three jobs had prepared me for the next three years of my life. And you're probably like, well, what does that have to, what does those three jobs have to do with being a full-time rapper? Well, first of all, doing phone surveys taught me how to have an articulate phone voice, which was really important because for the next two years, I was kind of having to cold call youth pastors and get shows, which is an art in itself, right? Up to that point, you know, I kind of talked with slang and I just did not have an articulate voice and that job at the phone surveys taught me how to be articulate on the phone, how to engage people on the phone, which does sounds weird to say that now in 2019 because nobody calls each other, but it had given me a skill set that I needed, that God knew that I needed to grow in. The flower delivery job had taught me how to efficiently drive a car from point A to point B, to get there quickly, to get there efficiently, to get there the fastest way possible. Well, I spent the first two, three years of my music career having to drive everywhere in that stupid minivan, right? And had I not learned how to efficiently drive, you know what I mean? I could have missed a show. I could have showed up late. I could have made a wrong turn. You know, this is sort of pre-GPS. I mean, there was GPS around, but it was not affordable. So, like, having to print out map quest directions, you know what I mean, or having a map, you know, like, you had to be able to navigate. And that job had taught me how to do that. And it was just a, it was a, it was a skill set that I needed. And the funny thing about the Census World job, Bureau job, is that taught me how to engage people that didn't really want to engage me. And the reality of what I do now as a artist, as a communicator, as a you know, as a pastor in some ways, it is all about engaging people. Like, if you don't have good people skills, you know, it really can be damaging to your stage persona. Like, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that, like, 
you looked up to and then when you met them they didn't want to talk to you or they just had no social skills or they were super quiet or standoffish or whatever and as you as a fan that makes you feel like these people are jerks I don't like them anymore you know that as the saying goes never meet your heroes right and me having to be a census bureau guy and get these surveys done <clears throat> taught me how to talk to people in a way that was engaging and also taught me how to be a conversationalist. You know what I'm saying? Like, not that I couldn't do that before, but it just made me better. Those three jobs prepared me for what I was going to do in the next two to three to five to 10 to 15 to 20 years. At the time, I couldn't understand what that meant. I couldn't understand God's timing. All I knew was like, what's up, God? Why am I in these sucky jobs? Why don't you just like make things blow up right away for me? So, often we are somewhere in this cycle, right? We are, we are somewhere in this process. We are in the process of getting the revelation, having to sit and wait out the revelation, and then sometimes we can able to, you know, if, if we're smart enough or wise enough, we can look back and go, God, you knew exactly what you were doing, even though I didn't. So whatever your situation is right now, this is something I told my 5-2 Academy class to do. I said, make a list of five things you're waiting on. And I said, for each and one of those things that you're waiting on, come up with one practical thing you can do to help pass the time. So, what am I saying? Like, one of the th examples of one of the guys that's in my class, he said, you know, I'm, I'm waiting on becoming a better mixing, you know, mastering engineer type producer. And I said, well, what's, what's something you can do practical right now to help that pass the time? Because if you just sit around trying to get better, you're going to drive yourself nuts. He said, well, I can study videos. I can sit under people that do it good. You know, I can practice. I'm like, exactly. That's exactly what you can do. For me, I have to have things to occupy my mind and my time. Otherwise, I go bonkers. Now, I'm sure other people handle waiting better. But I know for me, I'm a you know, a chronic multitasker. So if I'm stuck somewhere where nothing is happening, I will find something to do to help pass the time in a way that is productive to my life, productive to my calling, productive to where I'm going. So these are just a couple things that I've learned. Hope that speaks to you. Check out Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 3 and, uh, and hang in there and, and wait on God's timing for you. God bless.